We've been talking about faith. We've been doing all these weird stories of faith in Scripture. We've been talking a lot about the power of faith. So, so I don't know, just a little review, a little warm-up. How powerful is faith? There's your first warm-up question. How powerful is faith? All-powerful, very powerful, pretty powerful. It's like everything. All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10? 11, 10. All right, don't brag. We know you have faith. All right, uh, let's tune it down a little bit. What's something that you, in your life, have faith for? Level 10 faith. Something you, in your life, have faith for? Uh, provision? Faith in? You're going to say faith in Jesus. Yes, you're a good Christian. I know. No, something specific you have faith for. That's what I'm asking. I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant. All right. Somebody shout something out if you actually have faith for it. What? Love. Faith for love. That's, that's, a, that's a good Christian there. Healing. Have faith for Healing. Restoration, broad category, further conversation there, but it sounds interesting. Kindness, we're so virtuous, I love it. A ranch house that we can serve people in. You added that in the end, that's great, that's great, fantastic, I love it. Sure, all right, that's good. How many of you just kind of like raise your hand? Yeah, I have faith for something, I'm on it, I'm on something, okay, uh, that's good. So faith is really powerful, and you all are at least learning and trying to have faith for something. All right, how powerful is faith? Let's ask another question. How powerful is unfaith? How powerful is disbelief then? Uh, the opposite? Negative 11? 11? How powerful is it? Very powerful, not very powerful. Yeah, disbelief is very powerful, because what is dis disbelief? Disbelief is faith just in a negative thing, right? It's just all that is is faith in the wrong direction. And so if faith is really powerful, then negative faith also very powerful. Let's dial it down. What's something you in your life have disbelief for? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going there. I'm going there. What's something that you in your life have disbelief for? Something that you have resigned yourself, it's pretty much impossible. Hmm, I got, a, I got an unsolicited hmm with that question. <laughs> Think about it. I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant. Something that you have disbelief for in your life. Interesting question, provocative question, vital question. For me, it seems like a pretty uh, vital question. Uh, what's impossible? We've been studying faith. What's impossible? With faith, all things are possible. I went through, I don't know, 15 different verses about that last week, right? Uh, Jesus makes a big deal about that. What do we treat as impossible? Well, any number of things. 
right? Because we have a way to exceptionalize things. We have a way to exceptionalize our lives, you know? And, and you see it at work. So I'm going to jump into uh, a brief story that we've actually mentioned a number of times um, in, uh, in this uh, sermon series. I'm just going to read the story of uh, Jesus in his hometown, right? So if there was anybody in the Bible who had perfect faith, who would it be? Jesus, you guys are awesome. Yes, Jesus probably had perfect faith. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. So he's going home, surrounded by his greatest allies, his greatest advocates, right? When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Notice they said Mary's son and not Joseph's son because they figured he was an illegitimate uh, bastard child. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there. Quick pause, let's review. If there was anybody in scripture who had perfect faith, who would it be? With faith, all things are possible. He could do no miracles there. Do the math. This is interesting. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Okay. Digest that for a few seconds. <clears throat> then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Just be exposed to the elements, in other words. Wherever you enter a, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet, which was a sign of dismissal and judgment. It's like, fine. You know, kind of insulting. Shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And we'll just stop there. I like to read those two stories uh, together, uh, because I think they're both, in a way, a meditation on the danger of disbelief. In the first story, Jesus encounters disbelief in his hometown. They took offense at him, because there's, I mean, you just, we're kind of reading into it a little bit, but it's kind of like, wow, you've become this famous teacher, the things that you say sound really amazing, but, you know, you're kind of uppity. Because, you know, you're just one of us, you're just a working class stiff, and now you think you're all that, you know? And they gave him a little relational offense, right? They were not objecting to his theology. They weren't debating him at any high level. They, it was just like, yeah, we don't think that we like you on a relational level. And that more than anything else, let me just tell you, after 30 years' experience in ministry, relational stuff torpedoes the kingdom of God more than anything else right? That's what divides churches, you know? It's like, 
Anyway, I could go on about that, but that's not what the sermon's about. The sermon's about the power of disbelief. They found a way to disbelieve, and their pathway was offense. And in, in the perfect faith in the face of disbelief is defeated. Shocking. All right. Then Jesus immediately turns to the 12, and he says, all right, guys, that just happened. Now, what I'm going to do is send you out for the first time without me. Interesting timing. And he gives them instructions. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you out to do the impossible. I'm going to send you out to do a bunch of miracles and to preach a new message and make people believe. So, super high bar, right? Their standard for success was to do the impossible. And the impossible requires what? Great faith, right? A lot of faith. And he says, in order that you have enough faith to do the impossible, I'm going to make things really hard for you. I'm going to take away all your money, all your extra clothes, you know, extra shoes and stuff like that. And I'm going to send you and command you to find a place to stay with strangers. So he goes out of his way to make things more difficult for them than he had to. Why did he do that? Because challenge provokes faith. Does it not? So if the Lord wants to create a lot of faith in your life, what is he going to do? Dang it! We've all skipped ahead to that punchline. right? He's going to give us challenges because, you know, that's, that's how faith develops. How many of you have challenges in your life? Yes! Go ahead, clap your hands, give yourself a pat on the back. It's like, hey man, awesome, things kind of suck for you, way to go. Um, all right, so that's that part of the sermon. But then he says an interesting thing. All this, your, your standard is to do the impossible. I've thrown all this difficulty in your life. Look, if it doesn't work out, get the heck out of town. And he says, leave. He teaches them how to fail, right? What are you supposed to do when you go to a place, you're ministering to some people, and they don't accept the kingdom, they don't accept the faith in the Lord. They don't accept the, the sacrificial love that you're offering them. What are you supposed to do? Stick with it, right? Be faithful, right? Why would Jesus tell them to shake the dust on the... Essentially, he tells them, leave and slam the door on your way out. Why would he tell them that? Think about this a second. So their faith doesn't die. Well said. Because in a place of disbelief, you can't do faith miracles. And he doesn't want to sentence you to months and months of futility because that would fatigue your faith. And so Jesus, one of his first ministry lessons to his guys was protect your own faith as much as you can. I mean, you have to expose yourself to the risks. And he goes way out of his way to make that clear. It's like, life is not safe. The kingdom is not designed to be safe and comfortable and without risk. All right? So that's true. However, protect your faith against disbelief. Against disbelief. That works on a community level, and that works on a personal level as well. All right? You following that? 
All right, so that was just kind of a quick tour of that passage. I think it's all a meditation on the danger of disbelief and different ways it's limiting and different ways that you can at least think about managing it. This is just filled with practical angles, uh, this particular passage. Uh, bird's eye view, you know, point one, again, on the passage, you'd probably note that, well, faith is environmental, right? The faith to do miracles here this morning is my faith plus all of your faiths added together. And if you have negative faith, it cancels out my positive faith. I'm speaking very simplistically now, but that's kind of how it works, right? So faith is environmental, and it's really important, particularly for churches, to have a tremendous atmosphere of faith when we gather and to do everything that we can to bolster one another up in faith, to arrive with enthusiasm. You know what enthusiasm means? Literally, it means entheos, in God. Right? That's what enthusiasm means. There's a show up with enthusiasm and with faith and bring it. You know? Bring your faith game. Did you bring it today? Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, I brought it. <laughs> this, this is going down. So there's that. Point two, bird's eye view. Uh, now that we understand the passage a little bit, think about this. God values faith so highly that he submits himself to its power. This freaks me out. This freaks me out. God is so committed to faith, the working of faith in the universe, honoring faith in the universe, that he submits himself to its power. The Lord Christ himself could do no miracles in his hometown because of the disbelief of his homies. The Lord himself. This is just shocking to me, right? By your disbelief, you can stop the Lord. I don't want that responsibility. It's just shocking. By your disbelief, you can stop God from working. Now, you could be all theological about that. It's like, well, you know, could God overcome your disbelief if he wanted to? It doesn't matter uh, because he's designed this to work in a given way, you know? And the way he's designed it was that if, if you disbelieve in something, He's not going to be able to do it for you. Again, I'm being a little simplistic, but are you following? Why would God honor faith and negative faith so highly? Why would he do that? You know, and the, the way I've, I've come to understand it is because faith, trust, is kind of the point of this life, right? The reason that you're alive and progressing through all the challenges of life and, and you know, all of this exercise that we're going through on the earth is to develop trust in God. You know, trust, faith, confidence is a word I like a lot. It's all, those are all different ways of saying the same thing, <laughs> right? Do you or do you not trust God, trust what he has done, trust what he was, is doing, trust him in you, in theos? And so to, to make sure that you develop faith, God has limited himself, Right? 
so that it kind of forces us to choose faith in order to progress. It's a, it's a very severe discipline, but it's a discipline that he has uh, given all of us in, in this life. Are you following? You following? There's a lot of high theology there spoken in very simplistic ways, but if you're following, I don't know, snap your fingers. Um, again, I, I think this is kind of uh, scary. It's kind of good to know that my faith can reshape the earth. I like knowing that my faith can move a mountain. Do you like that? My faith can move a mountain. And what I do is I try to perfect my faith. Right? I try to make it really strong because I got some mountains I don't like. And I want to move them. And I'm going to put them in your yard. Because <laughs> you deserve the blessing of a challenge in your life. I'm not sure I have that theology just right, but, but, you know, I would like that. Oh, there's a rain cloud headed my way. Now it's headed your way. I live in Kaneohe. It's like, you know, diamond head. That's what I want. That's what I want. So I try to, I try to strengthen my faith. I like that. Um, but what I've come to realize is... Um, even if I strengthen my positive faith, my negative faith can still torpedo me, right? Because there are some negative things that I believe in. I have faith and I have unfaith, or however you want to talk about it. And, uh, and I see this a lot uh, in my life, and I see this a lot in just the lives of other people as well. You know, I see it in families a lot. Um, I see it in marriages a lot. You know, it's like you get married because you love the person and you have a lot of faith for the relationship. And then a little ways into the relationship, the spouses begin to disbelieve in one another, right? Because, you know, they get hurt. You know, you get pain. It's, it's a real uh, rich arena for unforgiveness, marriage, right? And so you kind of get locked in this relationship with someone in whom you really, really believe and really disbelieve, when you need to, you know, because they're not cooperating with you as they should, right? I see a lot of nodding heads, yeah, you know, that's just part of being human, no shame, it's just how it works, right? And we try to do better, uh, we try to be better uh, with this. But the, the relationship that is supposed to be the most vital one in your life ends up being a very limiting one in your life, you know, because no matter how awesome Sonia is, if I keep reminding her that there are some unawesome things about her, that's like, you know, perfect faith versus disbelief. Who's going to win? Right? And, and what happens is that we end up canceling each other out. I limit my own wife. Right? Never actually happens, but that's a creative illustration <laughs> of what could happen were I not a senior pastor. Right? It can happen in your life as well because you have exposed yourself. You have made, you, made yourself vulnerable to the disbelief of your spouse, right? It's like, it's like some serious lament going on over here. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. But yeah. Yeah. That's scary. That scares me a little bit. Again, you know, this is a, a fear and trembling sort of sermon uh, for me.
What does disbelief look like? Because, you know, you want to be able to identify it. Well, often it looks like what it looked like in Jesus' hometown. Often disbelief looks like offense or whatever other word you'd want to use for offense. You know, offense, <sighs> friction, maybe unforgiveness in some forms, you know, something like that. Accusation sometimes, you know. Um, I've been in ministry a long time. I've been leading various churches for a long time, this church for over a decade. And um, what I find is that what I struggle against most is relational offense against me. People get dissatisfied with me, not because I've been immoral, not because I've been unpowerful in any kingdom sort of way, but because I haven't met their personal needs, whatever that means, right, in, in whatever it means in that particular case. And that becomes very burdensome. Like, I feel that in my heart, you know, and so you could call that offense. God forbid that it should work the other way, that I should take offense at, at people in the Ohana and the faith community, you know, and then that would also limit me. Um, that's, that's a big deal. It, it gets in from the side door, you know, uh, as it did in Jesus' hometown. They did not debate with him theologically. They did not doubt the work of God generally. They just had a problem with him relationally. No miracles. No miracles. And so you have to be ruthless about identifying that stuff, you know? And Jesus says plainly over and over and over again in the Gospels, don't judge anyone. And that's kind of a faith teaching, you know? Because he wants to protect faith. Don't judge anyone. When society started getting very rancorous, about two, two and a half years ago, some of the first things I said in sermon, it's like, you know, just don't judge. Like, whatever you do, don't judge. It should not be finger pointing. Like, we cannot do that as Christians. I feel like the world did not listen to me on that one. Uh, I say that facetiously. More importantly, I don't think the world listened to Jesus on that. Frankly, I don't even think the church listened to Jesus very well on that one. Right? There goes faith. Right? Judgment. Uh, I think the world is in a very critical mood right now. And even, you know, something horrible like warfare, mass murder, right? To pray for that in a spirit of faith instead of decisive judgment is our task because we want miracles of peace. You know, it's, it's a hard discipline, but there you go. That's our calling. That's our calling. I digress a little bit, but there's a great spirit of disbelief in the land these days because there is a tremendous spirit of offense and judgment. Right? Thank God we're not guilty. It's all those other people. <laughs> you know? So there's that. Other times I think disbelief this is kind of just a voice of experience thing. It looks a lot like cowardice. It looks a lot like fear. It looks a lot like anxiety. It looks a lot like copping out. When I encounter disbelief in someone, I'm trying to minister to someone, and I you know, sort of hit that landmine of disbelief in them, I often find myself thinking, there's no purely rational reason why you, why you think that, but dang, you're awful, you're awful emotional about it. <laughs> Right? And it tells you that there's something going on. 
because disbelief can be more emotionally convenient than belief. Oftentimes, right? And we all know this in a way, right? Um, often disbelief, disbelief is when a lack of confidence turns into confidence in a negative thing. And you use disbelief to protect yourself from your own lack of confidence for good things, right? We know this uh, to be true. If you're struggling with something, it could be anything. You're struggling with, with your health. You're struggling with your fitness or your weight. You're struggling with relationships. You're struggling with failures or you know, job or vocational things, whatever you're struggling with. And, and there's always a point where you're tempted to say to yourself, that's just how it works for me. That's just how it is. Right? This struggle is just who I am. You know, I can't really help it. And we take disbelief and we elevate it to identity. Right? It becomes the story we tell ourselves about ourselves so that we don't have to do all the hard work of exposure. Right? Which is what Jesus trained his disciples to endure. Right? You following? I don't really need to talk about that. Maybe... Maybe there's some way that you have done it in, in your life. Um, tragically, in that spirit, disbelief can be a way, a twisted way, uh, for us to say that our pain is important. I'm struggling with this thing right now. You say, well, just believe and get past it. You know, but I'm, I insist, no, this is an important pain. I must have it for a while. <laughs> I must protect it, and I do that with disbelief. Um, you know, a lot of us do that. I have tons of those things uh, in, in my life. Um, one of the things I'm, I continue to very conscientiously uh, discipline myself about in, in my own life as uh, like the spirit of poverty versus a spirit of plenty. Um, I sort of came up, uh, it's a harsh way to say it, but I think in a spirit of poverty, you know, um, you, you know the way my, my early childhood was interesting, right? Uh, those of you who know the story uh, and uh, didn't really have my mom in my life. My dad uh, was the parent, was responsible, and he had come up in a very hard way. His dad was not very nice to him at all. I kind of come up poor. And what my dad instilled in me at the beginning of my life, uh, in, in what was a, a very well-intentioned way, was to, to be tough and be ready to do without. You know? And one of the great skills I have in life is the ability to do more with less. You know? Um, but in developing a lot of confidence in creating something out of nothing, I didn't develop much confidence in plenty. I didn't, I didn't develop much confidence that the Lord would just give me more than enough, right? Uh, so in some ways, I'm uniquely strong. You know, I sort of went through all of my early years of life, all of my young adulthood, just you know, living on nothing. <laughs> you know, I went to college, wrote first check for tuition, I did not have enough money in my bank account to cover it when I wrote it. That was my first check, right? And yet somehow the money manifested in my bank account before the bill came due. I just thought that was life, right? That, that's a great victory of faith, by the way. Snaps for me, come on. 
right? This, this 18-year-old kid from some backwoods place going to an elite school and say, yeah, here's my check. It's going to work out. It's not bad. It's not bad. You know, it's not bad. Until the first time it didn't work out, right? And then I was like, it's just how it is for me. You know? So I get about halfway through the struggle. Jesus uh, told parables about that. You know, I, I had enough faith to put myself in a place of risk and exposure, but not necessarily enough faith to close the deal. Um, and so, you know, I continue uh, to work on that, having confidence in a spirit of plenty. It's something that I kind of declare to myself every day. It's like, well, this is a great season. The Lord is just going to flood my life with resources. I tell myself that uh, a lot. Um, and I try not to sanctify my pain. You know what I mean by that? I think sometimes we try to sanctify our pain, to sanctify our own struggles through disbelief. God has sentenced me to this. I shall endure it. He shall be my debtor. If you don't get it, you don't get that. But if it strikes you in the heart, maybe you, t you take a moment to ask yourself, are you sanctifying disbelief when you shouldn't? Um, anything is possible. What's possible? What sort of change in your life is possible? What sort of healing is possible? What sort of restoration is possible? What sort of organization is possible? What sort of peace is possible? See, I listened when you were spouting out answers. I always do. So I can hear what you say and throw it back in your face as an accusation later. I listen. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's just end by um, uh, thinking about that. I've asked you to think a lot about faith over the last seven weeks or so. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to take a minute and then to think about disbelief, to think about negative faith that you might have for whatever reason, because you got offended about something or you got offended at somebody or because um, you, know, you had to cover over some fear or pain early in life or you've had to cover over some fear or pain recently, right? And you chose disbelief as a method of coping, as we often do. You know, whatever the reason, or maybe just because you haven't matured yet and you don't know the power of confidence and, and it's still an awkward thing for you, whatever it is, think about are you stopping the Lord when it would be way better not to? You know? It would be way better for those people in Jesus' hometown to just go with it. To just expose themselves to the risk of confidence in the same way that Jesus demanded his disciples expose themselves to the risk of confidence. Go out naked. Yeah, people will reject you. Shrug it off. Right? So, seriously, let's do some inventory here. Are you stopping the Lord? Because your faith is powerful. 
I mean, it is freaking powerful stuff. And your negative faith, freaking powerful. The Lord himself submits to your unbelief. Dang it. But tis true, isn't it? That's what the gospel says. So, where are you stopping them? Just think about that for a minute. Have you thought of something or kind of have something perking in your brain? It's like, oh, that might be a thing. That might be a disbelief that I would be better off without. You got something like that? I want to give you my best pastoral advice for how to get rid of that problem, for how to get rid of the disbelief that is stopping the Lord in some facet of your life, okay? My best practical advice is this shrug it off. Slam the door. Shake the dust off your feet at it and just move on like it didn't happen. Right? And then put faith into the next town or the next venture or the next repetition of whatever that thing was. Are you following me? So let's say for illustration's sake that you have a lot of disbelief in, I talked about marriage recently, uh, you have a lot of disbelief in your marriage getting better or in a relationship with a family member getting better or something like that, okay? The best way to fix that disbelief is A, ignore it. B, next interaction with that person, bring faith instead. You get it? Right? The best answer to a negative is a positive in its place. As opposed to wrestling with the disbelief endlessly for a long period of time, like you're stuck in a town that doesn't want you, it fatigues your faith, right? Are you following? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Best technique I know. And I've had to use it a lot uh, because um, I have some powerful disbelief. I'm a person of incredible faith. Incredible faith. Huge faith. It can go in either direction. <laughs> That's my problem. That's my problem. So I have to be rather ruthless. Maybe you do as well. Father God, I pray uh, that you would help us to replace disbelief with belief. To replace Interactions of offense, interactions of pain, interactions of anxiety with interactions of faith, confidence, unreasonable optimism. 
trust. Whether it be family relationships, finances, general fear in life. Some of us just live under a cloud of it. In Jesus' name, amen.